0: everybody, welcome back to the Undiscovered You, a podcast for people who feel like they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and this season we're talking all about playing the hand you're dealt. I'm extremely excited to have Dan Farag with me today. He's a director of innovation and practice at the Young Foundation. Hi, Dan. Hi, Kimberly. So, Dan, tell me a little bit about your job, Director of Innovation and Practice at the Young Foundation. What is that?
1: I'm still trying to figure that one out. Um, so, the Young Foundation is a UK charity uh, dedicated to shaping a fairer future, and it's all around community research and social innovation. So, thinking about how do we work with communities to influence policy and practice But crucially, my job is to build on the research and understanding what communities need and their aspirations and figure out how do you then mobilize public systems, communities to action to start to transition to a new way of working, a new way of thinking, a new way of living.
0: Amazing. I'm excited to see what you guys come up with because that sounds like a pretty altruistic, massive deal. It's quite
1: a big challenge. Yeah. But (laughs) I like a challenge.
0: Love it. So, going back to liking a challenge, why don't we talk a bit about you sort of growing up and kind of where you grew up, where you come from, uh, and kind of what you did in your formidable years as a sport?
1: As a sport, there's a nice (laughs) hint there. Uh, So, I grew up in London, South London. Um, I'm the youngest of three brothers. Grew up in Clapham, so it's, you know, relatively white middle class suburbs, uh, you know, zone two of kind of London. Uh, but the sport aspect was from a very young age, from about age seven, um, I used to figure skate and also played ice hockey as a, uh-huh. as, a as a young lad as well, uh, but did it to quite a decent level. So at the age of 16, we were part of kind of junior Olympic squads, played um, as part of the GB ice hockey under 16 team as well. Um, and was pretty into it so we trained at quite a high level competed up and down the country competed internationally every now and then as well Uh, but it's also how I met my wife as well so we used to ice dance together Um, but we took it to the level just before I went to university so we trained at at our peak probably five or six days a week sometimes twice a day Um, early mornings late nights sometimes overnight as well just training for kind of nationals where we could get free ice and the ice to ourselves as well. Um, and then just before we went to university, we threw it all in. Just done. Just done. <laughs> we got we got to the point, I think, where we took a year out between um, doing A-levels and starting university where we thought we'll give it a go. We'll kind of train as hard as we can, com- you know, aim for nationals and we'll either achieve our potential – uh, in the skating world and win the nationals um, and we didn't win the nationals so we then decided that we tried as hard as we could but we'd almost reached the point where we were ready for something different hence going to university um, my wife went to university in Greenwich I went to Nottingham as well so it was a, a quite a key decision point of we'll try as hard as we can but also just recognizing that we'd you know explored the system achieved what we probably could do and we're quite excited by an alternative pathway through the education system into something different the the thought of trying to skate professionally and do uni and you know you know contribute to the economy etc was probably too many things to hold at once so we decided it was either or
0: mm. and where did you come in in nationals
1: we came fourth which
0: was
1: okay. a bit disappointing but we tried
0: But there's a top four. I mean, that's like top four in the nation and still not bad bad at all. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And when you when you had to give that up, I mean, it sounds like you had other opportunities kind of around the corner that were in the back pocket. But talk me through sort of giving that up. What was that? What was that like for you? It sounds like it was a huge part of your life. And when you're training that hard, for any sport you know your lifestyle is very different your friendship groups are very different the way that you kind of operate different. how did you how did you transition out of that
1: um that's a good question and I think as you say I think to do anything to a really high level particularly in sport you have to be completely consumed by it mm. um so it was you know our entire world was the skating world was training etc um and then partly I think looking back you kind of look at the path you could take if you win nationals and and then what happens you go you know you can compete internationally you can continue to do what you're doing which is full-on um and then as you age I guess you turn into a trainer and I was like Mm. you know we've done this full-on for you know most of my childhood do I want to continue to do that for the rest of my life um And then you kind of get a glimpse of what university could be like and slightly different experiences. And um, you kind of think, actually, you can't do both. So it was a key decision point of we tried, we gave our our best. The path that followed, if we continued down that path, didn't particularly excite me. Um, So it was there. let's transition into something different. Yeah. But it felt like an easy decision to make, to be fair.
0: Yeah. And and that's one of the things, you know, on, on the undiscovered you, we talk about the fact that when you're looking at your career, look forward and look at where you're going, if you stay on the path you're on. And I think that's, you know, exactly what you did in terms of there's a shelf life here and, you know, for skaters, your, your knees aren't going to hold up forever. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. At some point your body gives in, right?
0: Yeah. And it's kind of, I think that's, I think that's an important sort of, thing for people to take from this is, you know, there's a shelf life and there's a shelf life in skating, but I think there's also a shelf life in your career. And, you know, there's a point when you're going to stagnate and there's a point when you're, you're going to get, you're not stretched anymore and you're not doing anything. It might not be your knees that are giving out, but it's, it's, you give into boredom almost. And I think it's kind of recognizing that that is something that could happen and finding ways to either develop yourself in your current role develop yourself in your organization or start to look at what are my next steps and I often challenge our listeners to think about that is it's not about leaving your job it's about making sure that you are able to continuously develop in the role that you're in and it sounds like you you recognize that there is a shelf life at least in in skating
1: I think a shelf life is an interesting framing I sometimes describe both my skating career but also my professional career as it's a constant process of evolution mm. um And you evolve to a point, but you find that the system in which you're operating in or living in creates constraints. And maybe this is where some of the innovation practice comes in of, I quite enjoy pushing the barriers and the process of evolution and reinvention. You've got the ability to do five or six times in your lifetime if you choose to. Mm. But the ability to just sit and be the expert in your field and be quite comfortable is also a legitimate choice, but it wasn't for me that's yeah. why I quite like the challenge of reinvention and um, continuous learning as well
0: I think it's a great way to look at I always call it brown sweatering it's like you put your brown sweater on and you come and you sit and you do your job every day and you go home and that's yeah. fine and if that's if that's what you need and sometimes you need that there are certain times in your life when you actually just need that stability within a role but I like that idea of evolution and and reinvention. So. You left Skating World, you went off to university and what did you reinvent yourself as? What What happened?
1: Um, I wish I could remember most of university, but I reinvented myself in that way, I guess. I had a good time. I had a really, really good time and I learned a lot, made some great friends, traveled, uh, got a degree, got two degrees um, and kind of transitioned into work, I think, relatively easily. And I think I'd always so I studied kind of international relations and global politics so I I had a view of I wanted to get into international development work or um, kind of actually studied international terrorism at the time as well so I wanted to get into security studies but then realized there was a natural constraint being of Arab heritage of trying to get into security studies was a bit of a tricky one so I went into public sector reform change transformation and have kind of been in that career path um but in different types of organizations for a good 10 to 15 years um, and again i've worked in kind of a small social enterprise i've worked in big national charities i've worked in government and i find myself back working in the charitable sector um, but i really enjoyed the process of reinvention of understanding how change happens from different points within a sector and a system from different organizational cultures as well and just to bring that to life a little bit when I joined the kind of civil service I realized within three months that I couldn't cope with the bureaucracy and the constraints that sit within a big machine uh, mm. that is government and I much preferred the agility of small charities and um, social enterprises hence I find myself now working in a small kind of charity working with small social enterprises trying to develop new things thinking about progressive social policy and, and economics as well so um yeah, it's been fun.
0: I had a very similar experience uh, working in the U.S. government. And I used to always get in trouble for exactly the same thing. And it was, we literally had a an, like an A4 sheet of paper. Uh, I think it's eight and a half by 11 in the U.S. And it had uh, a series of checklists that you had to go through. So you had to go to this person, then this person, then this person to get everything signed off. The thing was, is that if, let's say legal had to sign off and let's say they didn't, you had to go back up. And go through again. And I would always <laughs> skip that step. And I constantly was getting in trouble for it. And I was like, this is just so bureaucratic, like nothing ever gets done because I'm having to go through a checklist 12 times. All I need is legal sign off. That's all I need. So I, yeah, I fully agree with that. And And I also just want to touch on the point of knowing what you don't want to do and the areas you don't want to operate in are so important. And kind of recognizing the fact that for you, it's that bureaucracy, you want, you want that innovation, you want that change, you want that dynamic environment. And it's taking a step back and thinking, what is it that is constraining me in this, in this current role is sometimes a really good thing. What, what am I bumping up against? Why am I not feeling comfortable here? Or why am I feeling unchallenged here? And it's interesting that you found that. So w- did you, did that just naturally happen for you? Or did you take some time of, of introspection or?
1: I, and I think I learned by doing, basically. I knew that I wanted to try and change the world somehow. I still do. I'm not sure if I'm doing it fully, but we're all making a contribution somehow. Um, and for me, it was like learning what environment that I thrive in and what environment that helps me think differently, allows a bit of creativity, And things like large organizations like the civil service don't encourage particularly creative thinking. Mm. They're there to, you know, they're they're an authority figure in our society. And so they're there to provide safety. Whereas I prefer an environment of risk-taking, positive risk-taking and progress because that's how you push boundaries. But I didn't know that until I'd kind of jumped in and worked in different organizations and different sectors, um, which is probably for Definitely kind of my generation is probably countercultural because I think lots of people like a lot of my friends went into accountancy, went to be a lawyer. And there's a clearly defined kind of career progression and pathway. Um, I don't think I ever had that. I knew that my energy was probably my biggest decision maker. And I was like, I want to change the way public services work and the relationship we have with them. I don't know how to do that or what point of the system to do that. And so I kind of flirted with social enterprises government you know charities etc um to find the energy and environment where i get stimulation basically
0: i interestingly had a, a very kind of similar pathway because i did international studies as well an undergraduate and then went off and i worked in the un i found it incredibly bureaucratic went and worked in government found that everything was done by money in my opinion uh, whoever yep. has the deepest pockets and lobbyists and all the lobbyists were lawyers. And so actually to go and work in government and be a lobbyist and make effect change, one had to be a lawyer. And so I went to law school and then got into international trade and interestingly, had a job offer from the FBI doing anti-terrorism. Not well, there a joke. you go. Yes.
1: paths are crossing, aren't I they? No,
0: crisscrossing all <laughs> over the place. Um, but yeah, and I think I think it's I think it's so important to to dip your toes in the water in different places and try out those different types of roles. I think a lot of times people are scared about making that jump. And so can we just investigate that a bit? So you're working in the government, steady Mm -hmm. job. That's what a lot of people think. I'm in the government, steady job, steady income. How do you jump out of that water and into a different pond that you know nothing about?
1: You just leap and trust yourself, I think. Um, And again, it's for me, it's around positive risk-taking you have to trust yourself that you can be valuable in any environment as long as you're connected to your energy and what you think is important and quite often I come back to what's my purpose Mm. what what gives me energy um but I think working in different environments you also know the things that don't give you energy and you find quite draining and I think in those environments I knew that I'm not going to be my best self and not going to do my best work and so what's the point of me staying here basically so the ability of recognizing and being slightly self-aware very self-aware of if I continue in this stable you know potentially fulfilling role but it's energy sapping I'm not going to do my best work so I should leave so I
0: did (laughs) I mean we talk when we do coaching when I coach people we talk about those energizing strengths and that's something that we really look at but if you don't have a coach, um, what, what are some things that maybe you could do to kind of pull that out? What are some things that you may have done to recognize what energizes you and what doesn't?
1: And I think this is where quite often our education systems um, engineer a lot of this out of us. So it's the curiosity, it's the self-awareness, it's the energy that I think is 80% of how we make decisions, but we're trained to suppress that we're trained to think with our head rather than our heart quite often and if you can combine those two then you're actually you'll put yourself on a really powerful purposeful path Mm. um and to I guess to give you an example I used to work in a big accountancy firm as well doing kind of public sector change and transformation and I was probably the first non-accountant non-economists in a team and I sat there in my first couple of weeks going why the hell am I here what what's my contribution and it wasn't i was there for a good four years actually but i realized that my job was to translate all the the clever stuff that the financial modelers the economists the accountants were coming up with into something into a slightly different narrative that people in public services could understand um and so that gave me quite a lot of interesting energy because i could like make sense of the really technical stuff translate it into something actionable and i've almost carved out a career since of being the bridge builder from the experts to the practice, hence innovation practice. Um, but again, it's like, it's countercultural to how we've been conditioned and trained of being experts in a field um, and following the path of least resistance. Whereas I actually quite like the path of resistance because I know if I can break through that resistance, I'm learning.
0: Mm. Is that something you're doing in the Young Foundation then? Are you going to help us uh, reinvent the way that we do education in the UK?
1: I think if we don't, we're all going to be in trouble.
0: I fully agree with that. I'm behind it's, not you just, it's not just
1: education. It's like it's it's education, it's health, it's the, the economy. We all know like we've got a climate crisis, we've got public health crises, but we're just ignoring them. And so unless we find a slightly different way to live, work and kind of live with each other, we're going to be in trouble as a planet.
0: Agreed. Agreed. I want to come back to something you talked about a few times. So you talk about connecting to your energy and finding your energy. And this word energy keeps coming up to our uh, listeners who might not be sort of familiar with that sort of vernacular and kind of what you mean by that. What do you mean by energy? What do you, what are you talking about there?
1: the things that make you smile. Um, And it's, it's quite simply, if you kind of look at young kids growing up, they're really good at telling you when they're upset and when they're happy. And again, it's the thing we learn to suppress as adults of understanding what makes us happy and what actually just bores us to tears or makes us upset. Um, So the ability to connect with your internal energy, it's the thing that you get a slight buzz out of and a bit of an adrenaline rush and brings you joy. And um, I always describe a slightly odd term of when you're at work and you find flow, yeah. And you're so consumed with the work that you're either writing or thinking about. Everything else disappears. Time becomes irrelevant. Distractions become irrelevant. So if you can understand when you're in the flow and the conditions that you're in, either working in or people you're working with that enable you to find that flow, that's you connecting to your internal energy and knowing that you're doing purposeful work.
0: Um, Cal Newport wrote a really good book um, called deep work that talks about that. And it's all about yeah. that kind of finding that flow. And I think that's, I think another thing that I sometimes recommend to my clients is about keeping a a journal. So when you get off of a call or you get out of a meeting or you've just written something or you've just worked on something, did it bring you energy? Did it deplete you? Did it make you happy? What did you like about it? What did you enjoy about your day? You could even do it at the end of the day, kind of looking back and saying, I loved, really technical work on that excel spreadsheet and throwing those numbers in there and solving that problem if that's you please do that because i'm never going to do that but it's, exactly. it's, it's it's and that's the thing i think is so important is there's there's a there's something for each person each one of us is wired differently you know we talk about sort of those Meyer, myers-briggs types personality tests we talk about you know your insights or your colors or whatever it is and you recognize that each person has a specific thing that they love doing. And they're forcing themselves a lot of times to do something else that they think is expected of them. And actually if we just let people do the things that they're good at, and sometimes you do have to do the the crappy tasks too. Cause I mean, admin has to get done, yeah. but you know, it's that, it's that allowing yourself to have a majority of time. So here's the question for you, Dan. If you're looking at your kind of happiness energy and you're looking at the crappy tasks, what is the perfect percentage in terms of how much happiness stuff versus how much crap, for letter lack of a letter word <laughs>
1: I'd, I'd aim for 80 20 so 80% when you're in flow mm. you found joy, you you know you've got your focus I think you can't ignore ignore the admin like yeah. it, it creates yeah, a distract- it. it creates a distraction doesn't allow you to do what you need to do if you don't do it mm-hmm. and it creeps up on you if you don't do it as well um so if you can get to 80 20 that'd be great it takes time to shift to that point i think um but yeah
0: i like it, 80 20 so i think for our listeners if you're kind of finding yourself in that 50 50 range maybe take a look at what you're doing think about it if you're in the other way 20 80 maybe consider moving so definitely
1: consider moving definitely consider moving again I, like it's easy to think about the the task orientation of of that split as well mm. but i think of that 80% 40% is the environment and what you work which you work in you know the culture of an organization etc so think about all the components that um energize and resource you
0: yeah so when you were moving around, you know, you you've gone to different areas, different sectors. How do you actually investigate them? So another thing a lot of our listeners have trouble with is you're going from a known to an unknown. And, you know, you talked about just making, just leaping and going and, and making that change, but you know, you also talked about calculated risk. So how how can you approach it in a systematic way that allows you to take that calculated risk where yes, you're jumping, but you kind of have an idea that you're going to land well
1: um i think be kind to yourself and load the jump with a parachute basically so talk to people like don't take silly risks talk to people that are working in the field that have been through it Um, there's all sorts of networks and events and again the people that really love their work love talking about their work as well so yeah just ask make the right connections um get a feel for the work there's lots of volunteering opportunities that are available in all sectors in all jobs um and so the more you can do that speak to people get a feel for you know why they love their work what they hate about it etc it just makes helps you make informed decisions i think
0: mm, i think that i think that's really good advice and and also i know that you know you you've moved between running teams so you've led really good teams you've been in really good work environments and it's not it's not necessarily about having a good team to keep you there but there's been times when actually you've had to make decisions that are quite difficult and so what did you draw from when you were sort of making those hard decisions to move so because some, some decisions are easier you're you know you're in government you don't like the bureaucracy you know it's not suiting you but then sometimes when you move it's a bit harder because you've got a good team or you like the work so what is it that drives you out of those roles
1: Um, It's worth saying that every transition is difficult Mm -hmm. because every change process is difficult. Um, But the more, again, you're making informed decisions, situating yourself as part of the change process and thinking about what you need to resource yourself through the transition, uh, keeping yourself healthy and happy and well is also part of it. Um, So yeah, just be intentional with it and um, be intentional with both the things you're ending but the things you're starting as well because I think we've as human beings we're not very good at letting go of stuff Mm. and we tend to layer lots of different things on top of each other which crowds out the space for new things to happen as well so the ability to, to let things go well frees up space and capacity and headspace to start new things well as well.
0: I think, I think that's also important when you're in role, especially when you become more senior, sometimes you hold onto things you really love to do, but actually you need to, you need to delegate that. You need to let someone else pick up that torch so that you can free up space to do something else. And it also allows you to kind of pass that down to the next generation to allow them to, to pick up that torch.
1: Yeah. And I'd say there's no progress without some sort of pain as well. So as long Mm -hmm. as you can prepare yourself for that transition, I think it's uh, important.
0: Yeah. So just picking up on that, recognize that there can, there is likely going to be pain. Transition is hard. Change is hard. Do your research, talk to people, find out where your strengths are, kind of recognizing the fact that you need to be operating in a space where you're in flow, where you're getting energy, where you're able to, to feel valued as well, I would say is probably an added layer on there. Um, And also just take the risk be willing to take the risk because, and, and I think I think another point that you made there is that you took a risk once and actually recognized quite quickly it wasn't for you and moved on to something else. I think a lot of times we take a risk, we move and we think we're stuck forever in that job.
1: Never. Uh, the word experimentation feels really important to weave in as well. So mm. um, when you start something new, it's going to go wrong. Right? That's just normal and human nature. Uh, but as long as you're learning from what works, what doesn't and making adjustments, It's fine, generally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think I I recently was thinking about the fact that there's really no such thing as failure unless you don't learn from the failure. So the the failure is actually the non-learning bit of it. And as soon as you're able to learn something from it. And Dan, that point about when you start a new role, there's so many, especially high achievers, are so hard on themselves when they start a new role because they're like, I'm not acing this on day one. And I joke with people who I'm coaching, I, you know, I literally was coaching someone who started a new role and didn't have a full view of the strategy and the organization within the first week. And I, I sat there and I actually turned around and said, sorry, uh, can I just just quick question? How long have you been there? And they were like a week.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and (laughs) I think it's particularly with high achievers, you, you, you tend to put high expectations on yourself Mm. and you actually make it harder for yourself because you put unhelpful pressure um Mm -hmm. but i compare it to like again we're wired as human beings to learn from failure we all learn to walk by falling over several times but the ability to fall over and pick yourself up is the most important bit and so when you start something new you're going to fall over it's going to go wrong and again as long as you're learning from it and almost you know putting the cushions down so when you do fall over it's not going to hurt as much it's fine so be kind to yourself i think
0: i love that So we are getting very close to time, and I have to ask you our two final questions. So, first question is: along this journey, so the name name of the podcast is "The Undiscovered You." So, what have you discovering myself? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What have you discovered about yourself (laughs) along the journey?
1: Uh, It's a constant process of discovery, I'd say, Um, and so I'm still learning. I think, and I will always hold the fact that there's more to learn and more to explore um but I think the thing I have reflected on most is the ability to connect what's in your head to your heart as well so just recognizing there's an inner energy that should also drive your decision makings and everything else you do um is the most important bit I think of being healthy happy fulfilled
0: so So don't just follow the head in the words of Roxette listen to your heart
1: Listen to your heart. I won't sing it.
0: Oh, darn. I thought we almost got a song (laughs) there out of you. And the final question, which we ask from every single one of our guests, is what is the best piece of advice you've ever received, read, been given, gave someone else?
1: Um, I think experiment and iterate is the good thing I always hold in my head of it's going to go wrong as long as you learn from it and you keep adjusting and iterating on it um then that's progress and you'll continue to learn continue to grow
0: fabulous excellent so we're going to fail forward continue to learn continue to grow jump recognize your inner energy i love all this there's so many so many great jump with a
1: parachute i should say
0: jump with a parachute and put some pillows down (laughs) to protect yourself when you fall yeah i like it dan i'm going to be looking for you wearing full padding next time i see you
1: i've got a parachute
0: that's fine (laughs) <laughs> excellent well this has been extremely exciting and thank you so much and thanks for all you're doing as well with the young foundation making a better future for um for people within the uk i think that's absolutely fabulous and look forward to seeing where life takes you next
1: me too thanks completely.
0: thanks so much dan i hope you enjoyed this week's episode i'm going to be taking a couple weeks off but i'll be back with more episodes of playing the hand you're dealt Don't forget to follow, subscribe, like, and comment below. And I hope that you are one step closer to discovering the undiscovered you.